Some, whoa. You can hear me now. Good. Good, good, good. Can you hear me now? Okay, good. Can you hear me now? Just making sure. All right, today um, we are, this is the last of the uh, nine marks that um, Mark Dever has put together as far as the marks of a healthy church are concerned. And today we're going to be looking at the subject of biblical eldership, church leadership. And I think one of the things I want to make sure that we, we start out with is just to understand that uh, I, I would think that many of you either have been a part of a church or maybe have known of churches where um, leadership has not been healthy. And, uh, you know, we want to be careful that because of that experience or what we've heard in those contexts, because that happens in so many different places, that we don't become cynical about biblical church leadership. Um, remember, we are all, you know, frail, sinful people, right? And we can be drawn away by our own lusts and entice. We can pursue things for, for purposes that really are not godly or not God-glorifying, but we think that they are, we think that they're right. And so there can be some problems there. And I, I just want to recognize that um, we, you know, we may have certainly experienced some, some, uh, some hard times with church leadership. You know, bad decisions, an unwillingness to act biblically, um, maybe just, just always wanting to be diplomatic and please people. Um, maybe it's, it's an abusive kind of leadership. And so there's, there's all sorts of stuff that, that might be baggage here that you bring to the table as you study this particular topic. Um, and our American church culture, um, quite frankly, reflects a lot of our American culture in that it does not have too much tolerance for authority. People do not like to be under authority. Do you agree with that? Okay. And if that is true, that also transfers over into the church, which means that there would be kind of a watered-down perspective of leadership and the importance of leadership, and um, so we can become cynical. And so my, my purpose this morning is to reestablish um, a paradigm that I believe is very clear in Scripture, um, and we want to be careful that we're using biblical terminology to make sure that what we're doing um, truly is what God desires for a church to be. Much of, um, uh, much of, I might want to say, American church culture uh, has an attitude of it really doesn't matter what your leadership is as long as you're doing what God's called you to do. But my response to that would be, well, then shouldn't your church leadership be what God wants you to do? Because I think if leadership is right, then it filters down to the rest of the church, and uh, so I think it's important for us to be mindful of that. So reading again 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, um, we're really going to be um, using this to begin with and, and think through some thoughts about leadership, um, in particular eldership. Uh, we're going to kind of walk through a journey of, of some history and some perspectives of leadership that have been true throughout the church. So this might sound a little bit more like a seminar than it would be preaching just because of the nature of what we're doing. And I, I'm doing this deliberately because I think it's important for us to be able to see the big picture to then determine how we as a church would fit into that big picture 
and why we are deciding to do what we're going to do. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 again, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Um, I just want to highlight three words there. Elders, shepherds, and then overseers. All right? And these three words are used interchangeably in the New Testament to talk about the same role and function, the same position. Okay? That's ultimately where we're going to go eventually where we're going to get to. Um, but in order to get there, I'd like, first of all, to do a little review of some historical structures of the church, just to make sure that we're, we're, we're using the same language, and you're wondering how we fit and how we are going to function. Um, let's think through this a little bit. All right, first of all, there's the Episcopalian one. Now, don't worry so much about the actual words that are in there. I'll read them for you. But uh, this is the Episcopalian model. And, and basically, you have this huge, big structure, okay? It's a big structure. At the top, you have an archbishop, okay? And then the archbishop under him are bishops, and they are, you know, bishops over certain areas. And then under them, you have rectors, and then under those rectors, you have congregations. Now, this is highly administrative, right? Highly organizational. This is more denominational, um, and you know, the, the kind of churches maybe or denominations or, or organizations that would match this, of course, would be the Episcopalian church, right? Um, which would also be the Anglican church. Episcopalian is the American version of the same thing. Um, the Catholic church would function this way. You just have different labels, different names. The, um, I want to say Greek Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox, those would have the tendency to be in that same group. But you can see here that each individual church then is a part of some greater whole. And in this particular model, there's a lot more control from the top that has bearing on what happens down into a particular church in a particular area. Because the archbishop can say, hey, the rector who's over here in Castro Valley... Um, you know, we want to move him over to, you know, New York City. Well, it comes from the top, that's what happens. I mean, that's that kind of structure and control, all right? So that's the Episcopalian. A lot more to say about that. Then there's the Presbyterian. It looks like it's even more complicated, um, but the reality is that the structure is, is organized, um, but isn't quite as tight. It's not quite as top-heavy. It's not quite as as top-down, although there is some top-down. Um, the, the Presbyterian model says, all right, there's a general assembly, but then we're gonna, we're gonna section it off to, um, to, to, to certain presbyteries. So smaller regions, within those regions, you have what are called sessions, and you have representatives from various churches to serve as elders in those sessions, and they will then make decisions for an area. So you might wanna say East Bay, may have a particular session that is under the Northern California um, Presbytery, okay? And m there are some in the Presbyterian, there's a number of different Presbyterian denominations, so they're not all the same. Some are much more top-heavy, speak from the top, things happen, and there are others that are a lot looser and actually give the congregation a little bit more autonomy. Um, now, there's some advantages to this. One of the advantages to this is if a church 
needs help, needs support, they're looking for a pastor, or maybe they're looking for something, uh, some, you know, some crisis or something that's happened in their, in their church, then the denomination can kick in gear. The people in the churches in the region can kind of come along and say, hey, we know someone, and there's some, there's some help, there's some resource there, okay? So it's, it's, it can be a helpful tool, um, but at the same time, um, it is very, very organized, very administrative, um, and um, does have some top-down uh, dynamics to it, okay? Then there's the last one, which we typically would say is congregational, which basically is what, you know, your typical Baptist church would be, your typical Bible church would be. Um, if you see churches out there, the community churches, um, even if they're part of, the, of a denomination, um, they're typically congregational, meaning that they function um, as an autonomous church. In other words, the church itself ultimately determines how it's going to function, how it's going to be led. The congregation then has, has that say, and there's no denomination that is forcing the hand, although in certain contexts it might be, um, it might have some strong things to say, to encourage, to expect, um, but churches then are willfully putting themselves under the, the care of a particular denomination. For example, um, my father, um, served as a pastor for the Assemblies of God. And in order to be Assemblies of God pastor, your tithe as a pastor would go to headquarters. It wouldn't go to the church. So that's how the denomination um, really kind of kept afloat, was it used the tithes of all the pastors to kind of bring the money in. Although the churches could voluntarily send money, they were, they were expected to send a certain percentage. But I'm just saying that's how it could happen. But if you want to be in that denomination, you have the freedom to choose that. If you want to step out, you have the freedom to do that too. But it's congregational um, kind of a structure. Okay, now, so where, where would we fit at this particular point in time? From, from, from the perspective of autonomy, Gateway Bible Church is not controlled by any other agency outside of ourselves. We are the organization here. We are the people that will determine how we're going to follow God. Now, we have some partnership with some like-minded churches. North Creek has been a huge help to us, wants to continue to be that way. And if there was something that was going on, um, and John McNiff said, hey, Rod, we need to sit down and talk about something that's going on there. If we're going to continue to help you and partner with you, you know, we want to make sure that we're on the same page on this. I'm going to listen. We're going to talk because there's a relational respect there. Understand? But they're not going to come and say, you have to do this. And we're like, okay, we have to do that because we're an autonomous organization. There's a willful partnership going on because of like-mindedness, all right? So that's where we would be. Now, having said all that, let's step back again a little bit and kind of like how we began our service today. Now, let's just, think about, let's just think about the uniqueness of the church. First of all, the church is called the Bride of Christ. I know it's hard to see that color, isn't it? It's actually supposed to be orange, but it didn't come out that way, all right? Kind of looks like a, a muted brown or something like that but anyway um, the church is the bride of Christ just think about that image just think about that picture the church is the bride of Christ I mean how how beautiful is that you know um, you know I'm counseling someone for a wedding coming up here um, real soon and one of the things that you know you share as a counselor in the wedding is hey listen you know, the wedding day um, the focus is not going to be on the groom. It's going to be on the bride. So you just use that analogy and just think about it. 
you mean the focus is going to be on the bride? Well, it's not it's not, not going to be on Christ. But to Jesus, the church is precious, right? That's what we read. I mean, he's spent all this time nurturing and loving it. It really is precious to him. It is unique. Um, the body of Christ, uh, it's, it's, the, the church is called the body of Christ. Now, it's used in a, in a universal sense, the, the greater body of Christ. You go around the world, you can walk into a you know, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered church, where, whatever country it might be, you're in the church universally. Um, but there's also the body of Christ that is local. And so it's used, this expression body of Christ is used in both ways in the New Testament. Okay? So it's the body of Christ. It is, you know, we, we, are, we are his. He is the head of the body, which is the church. Um, talked about the household and dwelling of God. This is, this is the place where, where, where God has established his household. This is where he dwells. He dwells in us. Um, he is uh, he's building this building called the church. Then there's the pillar and the support of the truth. In other words, the church is, is here, and one of its functions is to uphold the truth of the gospel. Okay? Now, the, the, the bottom line of taking time just to think about the uniqueness of the church is this. What we are doing here is not running a business. This is not some community organization. Okay? This is not some kind of, of, of gathering of people where um, you know, the, the leadership is going to be a CEO or just some kind of a uber administrator or organizer. It's not just based on some charismatic personality. We're talking here about the church. We're talking about the bride of Christ. We're talking about his body. Okay? So we need to be very, very careful that we're not going outside the church to think of ways of how we can run the church. But so easily we do that because we think, ah, this works out there in the business world. Let's bring that into the church because we want the church to work. Let me ask you this. If the church is done God's way, does it work? Absolutely. Now, when you measure the church based on methodologies, standards, um, evaluations that are from a world that is outside of the church, can you then look at the church and say, well, it doesn't seem like it's working? Can you? Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't function with good business principles and that. We, there's, there's an element where we should. There should be good administration. There should be good accountability, financially, in integrity, that kind of stuff. But we've got to be careful that the thinking and the mindset of leadership in particular in the church is not simply borrowed from the business world, but gleaned from the word of God and his wisdom that he's imparted to us. And so that's why it's so important here to say, if we're going to be talking about leadership here, we're talking about leadership of the church, not just an organization, okay? Um, so having said that, here are some examples of how churches viewed leadership some i mean this happens in a variety of different churches that exist right now um the first one not so much but it has been viewed this way as people have tried to be as as holy and godly as possible the first one is this no leadership except directed by the holy spirit so there's a congregation but there's no leadership there's no one who's actually in charge there's no actual leadership we're just all going to gather together and the holy spirit is going to tell us what to do 
that's why the congregation is all like kind of wobbly, right? I mean, without leadership, you just have a blob. And, and let me ask, does the Holy Spirit direct? Absolutely. But the Holy Spirit has directed through his word and given us more specifics about leadership, right? This really is kind of a, a fear of leadership. A desire to, to not give anyone any position of, uh, of, of leadership or authority. Um, but the problem with that is then, then you don't have any leadership when God has established the need for leadership. Uh, what would it be like if you just came to church on Sunday and we all just kind of sat around and we said, all right, who's going to bring a message? Oh, I, I guess I will. You know, I mean, no, I mean you, got, you need, God's given us direction. Okay, so this doesn't work. Then there's the business model, okay? You say, well, this looks like what most churches do. Um, I know. Um, But basically, you have a church board. And the church board decides things for the church. The church board hires and fires the pastor or pastors of that church. They're hired as employees. But the board is really the, the group that controls what happens in that particular church. There might be some congregational influence. There may be some congregational input. Maybe the congregation decides who is on that board, but as it relates to the pastor and those who are working for that church, the board decides what happens to them. But that's really, that's a business model. Right? So it's, a, it's a corporate board. It's a board of directors that's telling and directing the pastor to do. So, so if the church board finds out the congregation is struggling on some particular areas of doctrine or some, some ways or things that the pastor is doing, then the church board says, well, let's get another guy and we'll, we'll replace that guy. In other words, the issue is, is let's get a new pastor as opposed to let's get a, a change on the board. I know you're all smiling and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but, but this is the business model. This is what happens in the business world, isn't it? Okay? All right? Then there's the next one, which is very similar to this, but we're just changing it a little bit. This one, we'll call it the dictator, benevolent dictator, okay, or the CEO model. All right, the CEO model, basically, a CEO, he is, you know, he is the president. He is the big cheese. What he says happens, right? And so CEO here says, you know, we're, we're going this direction, we're doing this, we're doing this, there is a board, but that board is usually full of yes-men. Okay? Now, this, this is very, very prevalent within the context, within the Baptist context. Okay? Um, which is interesting because when the Baptists came to the states, they were functioning in the context that we're actually going to end up with. That's biblical eldership. But partly, and I think some people have tried to do some study on this, some of this had to do, I think, with with the whole pioneering, where people would go out into a community and they would start a church. And there was just one guy, just one pastor. And so you have this one pastor and he's gathering around himself some people to be a support that may not be theologians, may not be able to teach, but they're deacons. And so that model kind of continued on. So it wasn't necessarily someone who was trying to be disobedient, I don't think. I think it's it's just a natural thing that developed in this country because of how growth was taking place, okay? Um, because if you look at how um, churches were done prior to that, um, and might want to say more congregational settings, uh, you will see um, a, 
a plurality of elders that were actually doing that. Okay, so um, let's put it this way. Um, the church that I came to know the Lord in would fit in this model. The pastor was the benevolent dictator. All right? Whatever he decided, that's what would happen. If we want to buy something, now it's not that he wouldn't talk to the congregation, but he would sell what he wanted to do with the congregation. Right? It's just the way it's just the way it functioned. And there are a lot of people that love that. They love to be told what to do and they love to make sure, you know, hey, that's fine, we'll we'll go that direction and Usually the, that person, that leader, that pastor is a charismatic, um, you know, great personality, and people are willing to follow. Okay? The fourth one here is shared leadership, also known as biblical eldership. And what you'll notice here is this, is that I guess you can say there's a board, we call that a group of elders, and there's a, a little asterisk next to one of them. And the point here is this, that this is a group of men, um, one of which at least is the the teaching pastor, okay, who's also an elder. Um, we call this biblical eldership. It's shared leadership. So it's not all on the shoulders of one person. Um, that person is not simply an employee. This group of people are looking and caring for the congregation, but they're doing it together. And um, we'll, we'll see how this plays out um, as we open up God's word a little bit more here too, okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about then the importance of this kind of team leadership, the shared leadership, all right? It's kind of hard to see here. 1 Peter 5.1, and what I want to emphasize here is, is the plurality of what is going on in these passages, all right? These are all passages talking about leadership in the church. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Okay, so he's writing, all right, it's a group of men. Secondly, Acts 20:28. 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay? So there's a plurality here of overseers that need to take a look at themselves as well as the flock that they're looking after. 1 Timothy 5:17. Let the elders who rule, okay? Again, plural. Hebrews 13:17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, leaders is an appropriate word. It's not as crystal clear as elders or overseers or shepherds, but it is identifying that same function. But it's in the plural. James 4.14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, some might say, well, okay, well, all this is talking about is elders that are pastoring different churches around the area. Okay, then go to James 4.14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Does that mean if you're in the hospital, I'm calling up Doug Tegner and Larry Vold, and we're all going to go up there and we're going to pray for you? I mean, is that what it's talking about? No, it's talking about, it's talking about the church, the local church that has a plurality of leaders that are the elders. Okay, that's the idea here. Okay? So there's this shared leadership. There's a shared context of, of leadership that uh, takes place. All right? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Now, just to make sure we're aware of this, we're, there are two offices that are talked about in the New Testament as far as church leadership is concerned. The first one is the elder. Uh, they care for the flock as ministers of the word and prayer. And you might even want to put next to that 
um, you know, just the, the emphasis is on, on, on spiritual life, okay? The emphasis there on spiritual life. Um, the next one is deacons. Deacons serve the flock as ministers of mercy, helps, and physical needs. So the idea here is that the, the deacons are, are, are more concerned about, for example, as it's used in Scripture, caring for the poor, making sure that widows and orphans are taken care of, um, doing the waiting of tables. The idea there is doing some of the more logistical stuff to free up those who are in the, in, in the Acts 6 passage, it was the apostles, but in the church, the idea is that the deacons then are working hard to make sure that the elders are free to take care of the spiritual needs of the church because the deacons are taking care of the physical needs of the church. You understand that? So you might, if, if you want to you know, kind of put a, put a picture to it, you can see the elders overseeing the congregation. You might even put the deacons underneath the congregation because they're there to help and serve and undergird, especially the, the physical things. Now, in, in many contexts, in many churches, deacons is almost a, a synonym for leaders, right? But biblical deacons is really, they're the ones, and deaconesses, I would say, come along and undergird the congregation with their service, with their gifts, with their talents to help free up the elders to make sure that the caring for the flock on a spiritual level is taken care of, okay? Now, we're not really focusing our time today on deacons, but I at least wanted to make sure that I didn't leave that out, um, and uh, let's continue on the thinking about the elders. So, so I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So these three words, elders, shepherds, oversight. That's what goes in your handout next, those three words. Elder, which is from the Greek word presbyteros, which sounds like what? Presbyterian. Now, see, usually when, when someone who hasn't grown up in the context of a Presbyterian church when they hear the word elder, they automatically think, ah, that's how the Presbyterians do it. But historically, that's not the case. I mean, eldership has been part of the church for years outside of um, the Presbyterian church, but that's where the word comes from, right? Um, it identifies really who he is. What we're, what we're looking at here, what we're thinking through here is that this person um, meets certain qualifications. They're seasoned, they're mature in the Lord. You don't want to put a person in this position of leadership who does not have a grasp of God's word, who does not have a healthy reputation, who does not um, um, have maturity to be able to, you know, care for the flock. Um, so the idea here is that this person is seasoned. So don't think of elder necessarily, we'll get to this, but don't think of that person as having to be old, okay? Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be young, and I'm not saying that they should be young, but the issue here is not so much age as it is maturity. Okay? Secondly, you have then the shepherds, poimain, um, which literally is a word that is used to, 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 to talk about the caring of sheep um, and that, you know, that role and function of a shepherd. What does a shepherd have to do? Has to keep, keep the sheep in line, has to take those sheep to green pastures to feed, has to make sure that those sheep are in the fold, that they're cared for, that they're safe. All those things are all part of shepherding, okay? Then there's the overseer, the episkopos. What does that sound like? 
Episcopalians. So you can see where some of these, these, these paradigms come from. The emphasis there would be on oversight, would be on administration, would be on structures. Um, this has to do with what he does. So who he is, I'd say what, who, you know, secondly, what he feels, meaning he has, a, he has a love and a care for the church, and then he's an overseer. It's what he does. Um, he is, by virtue of being an elder, overseeing the church. And, um, you know, so these are the three words in the same passage here being used to talk about the same office, all right? Now, specifically, what are some of the roles and responsibilities of elders? And we're just going to highlight these just by reading a, a few verses of Scripture and pulling out these words to describe what it is that they're actually doing, all right? First of all, I'm calling this a ministry of care. This is the first section. Um, if we read 1 Timothy 5.17, I believe that's in your handout, right? Note this, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. When we read that, what word do we recoil at? Rule. The elders rule, you know. Right? Um, they rule. Does that mean that they're just like, you know, this, this heavy hand on us? No. The idea is caring. The idea is shepherding. The idea is, is, is that, um, you know, making sure that, that things that are, are needed to be taken care of are. So let's just think of it in those terms. So Hebrews 13, 17 um, says this. And, and you know, you, just, these are just parts of these verses. Keeping watch over your souls. Does that sound harsh or does that sound helpful <laughs> okay um they are over you see rule no um the, the idea is that they're caring for you and they're admonishing you ah see harsh word admonish we don't like that but listen you know sheep sometimes need a little prod don't they get in the fold will you ah, thankfully i'm not a shepherd i might use my feet rather than the goad um, but there's a need at times to, to chase some people down and to get them back in the fold. It's a loving thing. It's a caring thing, all right? Pay attention to the flock. Don't you want your leaders to pay attention to you? Okay? Um, you know, if, if a sheep goes astray or a sheep is stuck, I mean, a couple of years ago at our house, we live up by, by Cal State. I remember one, one night... Um, um, there was a, a, a little baby doe that came through, no, no, a little fawn, right, came through and got stuck in our fence. And it couldn't get, couldn't get its hips through, okay? Um, I'd have no way of getting through myself, right? But this, this, thing, <laughs> this thing got stuck, this little, and it was you know, crying, and I think Gavin ran around to the front of it to scare it so that it would back up and, and get out. Um, but, you know, there are times when, when we as sheep, get stuck, and you, 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 we need each other, um, but especially the elders have a role and a function to play to make sure, hey, listen, is there anyone stuck? You know, it's, they're looking out for you. They're, they're paying attention to the flock. Then there's the word shepherd. Then there's the word laboring. It's a labor that has the result of toil, hard work, and sweat. So this is not, this is not hey, I get to be an elder, hoo we're going to Hawaii, you know. That's why we take an offering, you know that, right? Uh, it's just, no, 
to take on this role and this function is work. Now, if, if you've ever labored in prayer with someone who's struggling in, a, in, in their walk, you know how draining it is. Caring for the spiritual needs of people is draining. It's, it's labor. Add to that just the, the general steady shepherding. And then add to that the, the teaching. And add to that just the administrative things that need to be done. It's, it's labor. Um, so this is, not, this is not something you you aspire to because you want prestige. This is something you say, you know, God, are you calling me to this? Because if, if you are, I'm going to need your help because this is work, okay? Um, then it's prayer. Um, part of the role and function is, uh, is for those leaders to pray. And if you go back to the Acts 6 passage, that's when the, the apostles were just not able to spend time in prayer and time in the word or to help people because they were so busy with menial tasks that they asked for help and they provided the help. And, and so that there was freedom then to make sure that prayer was important and was taking place. So there's this ministry of care, okay? That's the first, the first section I want you to think through. The second one I want you to think through is what I'm calling the ministry of teaching the word. If you look at the qualifications for an elder, and the qualifications for a deacon, you will find a lot of similarities. One of the areas, though, that is distinctly different is that an elder is apt to teach. So an elder, then, is one who is going to be preaching and teaching, and they're to be laboring in preaching and teaching. They're able to teach. Um, and I, I, think, I think sometimes it's easy to water that down because there's something about someone who has a handle on the Word of God, knows how to approach the Word of God, knows how to glean things from the Word of God, knows when they are abusing the Word of God, and how easily you can jump into making the Word of God say something that it doesn't say, um, who knows um, you know, what the Word of God says. So this is, this is not just, you know, can they, can they share, you know, you know, share the gospel in one minute? This is someone who has some, some theological substance and is able to communicate that before a group of knowledgeable, mature believers. Okay? Um, and you say, well, does everyone have to have the gift of teaching? Well, it says here, apt to teach. And I just, I just think we want to be careful that we're not watering it down just so we can get someone in. I would, I would say then, let's see that person in the context. Let's, let's watch them. Let's, let's hear them. And um, so we'll, we'll get to some of the process in just a minute. But preaching and teaching is a huge aspect here of the role and function of, of an elder. Okay, now if you, if you go back to some of those models, remember the business model? That corporate board is not necessarily doing any teaching at all. They're just decision-making. They're gathering for a meeting once a month or whatever, and they're making decisions for the church. But let me tell you something. There's something about someone else who knows what it's like to be in the trenches that decisions would be made completely different than simply someone who gathers once a month and makes a decision for the church. That's why it's really, really important that those who are serving on the elders also include those who are pastors, teachers. I want to say um, that, is, that is their livelihood. 
that, it, that are part of that group to make sure that it's rounded out, okay? Because the elders is a group of laymen as well as those who are um, vocationally doing that, okay? Then there's the protecting and feeding. Acts 20, 28. Um, let's, uh, let me just read that. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, get this, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so, so the, the role and function here of, of the elders is to protect the flock, is to feed the flock from, from false teachers that are coming from outside and false teachers that are coming from within and from false teaching, Right? hundred years ago, um, that kind of false teaching would take place in the form of someone showing up in the congregation or in the community or maybe some written information. Today, it's radio, it's TV, it's the internet, it's books, it's, it's coming all over the place. And, and, and friends, there's so, much, there's so much theology that is being pumped out there that just doesn't reflect what the Word of God says. And part of the role and function of the elders is to say, this is what God says in his word. This is what is truth. And to protect the flock from that. So if, you're, if your elders say, hey, listen, so-and-so is coming to town and they're going to be speaking and we're just warning you, don't go. Because this person's a false teacher. You really ought to pay attention to what they're saying. They're not saying it because they just don't like the person. They're saying it because they have theological reasons why this person is, is dangerous, okay? That's part of the role and function of um, the church. So, I mean, what would it be like if there was a shepherd and there was some sheep running outside the fold and, and there was a you know, pack of wolves coming and they said, well, you know, they've got to make their own mind up. They know where the fold is, you know. They want to go and talk to the wolves, that's fine, you know. Of course not. I mean, a shepherd, wouldn't, a shepherd is going to lay down his life for the sheep. Right? I mean, that's, that's the idea, that, that, that they're going to put themselves before the sheep and protect them. So there's a seriousness about that. All right? Then there's the instructing and rebuking. Titus 1, 7 through 9 says this. For an overseer, okay, talking about the same, same function position, as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may, so that he may, okay, this is all heading to a so that, he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, all right? In other words, he has a good biblical theology, right? And he's able to teach that, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there's this, this whole attitude of instructing and rebuking that is part of this ministry of teaching the word. Okay? So, these are the elders. This is this group. These are these leaders, right? Let's, uh, let's look now at, at a, few, a few points that might be a little bit more on the practical level. Why a plurality of elders is important. Well, notice up here that you have this, this plurality. You have this this group of, see up here, we have, what, seven men. One of them is the teaching pastor. So the assumption in this, in this one is that you have six that are laymen 
who are coming alongside and helping and supporting and making decisions together. Um, just think about that model as we go through these, all right? Why a plurality of elders is important. Number one, it balances, it balances a, a, the pastoral weakness. I just want to tell you something. Um, may come as a shock to you, but I have some weaknesses. I know it's a huge aha moment for you. Um, you know, I fail. There are some things I am not good at. Okay? When you have six other guys, guess what? Hopefully, one of those six other guys will be good at what I'm not good at. So, for example, I may not be good at administration. <coughs> so it's helpful to have another person who may be an elder who is good at administration. And we're supposed to round each other out like that. Okay? So it's, listen, a, a, a teaching pastor is not supposed to be a jack of all trades. All right? He, he is called to minister the gospel. He's not called to, to do all these other things. That doesn't mean he's above it. It's just that you're, you're asking that person to step outside of their giftedness. Now, certainly, there's going to be some administrative things that need to be done. But, uh, you know, we all balance each other out if when, you know, we're talking about what an eldership looks like. All right? Secondly, it diffuses congregational criticism. The idea here is this, that if, if, if uh, let's say, for, if I get up one day and I'm speaking on a particular topic and I, I address a particular sin and someone in the church recoils at that, how could you even bring that up? And, you know, we, the pastor this and the pastor that, what do the elders do? Well, what they're supposed to do is surround that pastor and be a team and be a unit to deflect all that is taking place. Because there's going to be criticism. It's going to happen. But that team then takes it together. They don't just kind of step away and say, yeah, what do you think, pastor? You know, No, they come around and say, listen, first of all, uh, we're with him. And, and secondly, you shouldn't be talking about um, a teaching pastor in that way at all. That is not respectful. It's not helpful. And uh, if you have an issue, let's talk it through and let's find out what God's word says. Okay, there's a need then to, to kind of diffuse all that congregational criticism. I know all of you are upset with me right now, um, so if you want to talk afterwards, we can do that, okay? But I'll have a group of men around me, I think, so, all right. Um, number three, it adds pastoral wisdom. Hey, listen, you, again, may not know this, but next to my bed, I have a red phone, and it, it go, dials directly to God. So if, if I need some some direction and wisdom, all I have to do is pick up the phone. See, you don't get that because you're not a pastor. Well, of course I don't have that. I'm limited in my abilities, in my wisdom. As much as I desire to be a wise leader, having a plurality of elders who are also apt to teach and able to think through things with biblical wisdom is a great strength. And when you're bouncing things back and forth, you all are able to come to a conclusion that hopefully will honor God. And that conclusion may be, you know what, what we're thinking about, we're just going we're, we're gonna to pray over this for the next month or something like that because we don't want to jump ahead with something. All right? 
my role as pastor teacher is a, is a role of giftedness. It's not a role of authoritarianism. You understand that? And as a team works together, we recognize, hey, listen, this is my function, this is my role, but another elder who's serving may have another complete gift mix that would be helpful for the church too, okay? So it adds pastoral wisdom. It indigenizes, indigenizes, indigenizes leadership, indigenizes. You like that? You have any idea what that means? All right. What it means is this. The church is not ultimately dependent on that one teaching pastor. When you have a plurality of elders who are apt to teach, if something happens to him, guess what? You, you should have a group of guys then that can step up to the plate and can keep the church moving in the right direction. Now, they may, they may not be seminary trained, but they're still skilled and able to handle the world, word enough to the point that they can make sure that if they're bringing someone else in, that this person's qualified, they're gifted, and they match the, the needs of that particular church, okay? That's the idea, is that it's not all dependent on one man, all right? Number five, it enables corrective discipline. In order for the church to exercise discipline, um, there needs to be a body of men who ultimately are saying, at, you know, af at that step three, hey, this is legitimate, we need to be acting on this. If you put that on one person, then what happens? That person is always going to be under attack because they're the ones that made that decision and they just don't like me and it's because they're family or it's because whatever it might be. When you have a plurality, you have protection, you have much more wisdom and you're, you're able to work through things together, right? Finally, it diffuses that us versus him mentality um, as in like a church with the pastor it would be ultimately um, us versus them that's what it should be um, not that you want anything like that but um, again you're working as a team you're together now these are just some of the things um, there's I'm sure a lot more that you could say about that but let's just remember here frail men in leadership can still make decisions that are not wise or do not glorify God. Nothing is perfect, but it's still the biblical model. And um, we'll say some things about the application of that in just a minute. All right, so who or what is an elder is the next question. Um, number one, a biblical elder is not simply an older male. That's what I was talking about earlier, okay? Um, in, the, in the Jewish economy, it, they, they were. The, the, the elders were considered to be those who are gray-haired. So if you are gray and 25, you're on the right path, right? Um, all right. A biblical elder is not simply a successful businessman, all right? Someone who knows how to get things done. Um, although, if you're functioning under the business model, that's exactly the kind of guy you want up there, right? Um, Biblical elder is not simply an involved community member. Uh, you know, someone who's connected in the community. Someone who um, has influence in the community. I mean, could that, on a practical level, level, become handy? Could that be a handy tool? But see, you could rest on that and not rest on God. And if you're pulling someone into that position simply because, well, you know, this person does have a connection in the community, but you're doing that because you're fudging on some character issues, 
um, but you're saying, well, yeah, but the connection in the community is really, really going to be helpful because we want to grow. We want more people. But see how your mind starts shifting away from what God desires? Okay. A biblical elder is not simply a good old boy. Okay. Um, you know, just, just one of the guys, just, just part of my posse or whatever you want to call it. In other words, they're, they're, the qualification isn't the important thing here. You know, we go fishing together, so, you know, come on, all right? Or you play golf together, or um, he, you know, you're on the softball team. No, 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 no. This, this is a much more serious role and function than that. A biblical elder is not a female. Now, this is not a sexist thing. I didn't come up with this, all right? If you have an issue with this, I would encourage you to open your Bible, pray over it, and talk to God about it because he's the one that presented biblical leadership in a, in a masculine way. And everything that's communicated about it is all in the masculine, talking about men in that capacity, okay? It doesn't mean that, that um, you ladies are inferior. Remember what I talked about? My role as pastor teacher is an, is an issue of giftedness, Okay? You know, we, we have this idea that, you know, being up front and people is the most important thing. Listen, you, you ladies who are stepping over and, and serving the children every Sunday, that is a huge ministry. Now, I'm not relegating women's ministry just to that. I'm just saying that we often have things upside down because we think of glory rather than service. But this is how God has established things to be true in the church. It is true in your marriage. It should be that the husband is the head of the home, that God looks down at your marriage and, and he measures that marriage and that family through the lens of the father or the husband. And the same would be true for the church. God looks down and he measures the health of that church through the lens of the men of that church, in particular, those who are the spiritual leaders. So men, this is a time for us to be thinking about, you know what, we need to step up to the plate. We need to be strong in the word. We need to be serious about the things of God. Okay? The biblical elder is not a politician. Uh, you know, a slick person who can influence and shape and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's not that. So these are a lot of things that it's not. I remember when I was in, in college, I said, don't, don't preach about things that is not. But, um, you know, we need to get some perspective out there because a lot of times this is, this is the kind of person that is brought onto a board of sorts. Okay? Now, so what is an elder? Number one, an elder, a biblical elder has a burning desire to serve God as an overseer. I get that from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You might want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to um, just really kind of root some things now um, in a particular text here for you. Okay? I know we're not going through one text, but we're looking at the subject now um, from a variety of texts, but we're kind of getting down to a a place that we want to we want to pause here. A biblical elder has a burning desire to serve God as an overseer. First Timothy, three one. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, it's not just kind of like, well, well, maybe one, you know, maybe maybe I'll be an elder. No, I I think what what's going on here is that there's this there's this. There's this real burning desire that God has placed within your heart to say, you know what, God, I want to be used in this capacity. 
Now, it doesn't, it, this is not how it works, you know. Hey, hey Pastor Rod, I want to be an elder. Um, can I start next week? It doesn't work like that. But you really believe that God is, is grooming you and pushing you in a way where your gift mix is such that you can, be a, you can really be a part of, of a group of men who are leading and shaping and, and guiding the church family. I think that's something that God places in you. And uh, I think that's reflected really in this passage, right? If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Secondly, a biblical elder is qualified in his character to serve God and the church as an overseer. So we'll continue on now in um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. And all of you men are reading this and you say, how in the world can I live up to that? Okay. Um, any of you guys perfect? Like me? Okay. No, there's none of us that's that. Um, and I'm not saying that we diminish these qualifications. All I'm saying is that um, you know, I look at some of these and, and you might identify in here some areas that maybe you struggle with, right? Um, are you quarrelsome? Do you yell at people when you're driving your car? If only the microphone were on, right? Um, do you like it when, you're, uh, when your check comes from the IRS, if that happens to you? I mean, I mean this isn't, isn't it easy to drift off into the love of things and money and that kind of... Listen, we are sinful creatures, but the point is that this is not where we stay. This is not where we want to be. We are pursuing God, and we are doing all we can to make sure that we are men of integrity in these areas. Okay? So there is certainly a, a, a qualification process here that is not just measured by one person sitting down and checking off things. It's, it's measured also by a group of people that recognize that this person is, is worthy of following, of, is worthy of listening to, is worthy of sitting under, okay? Um, and their character shows it. They're not perfect, but they, we know that this person's growing, that they're mature in the faith, and so on, right? Number three, a biblical elder is competent to teach God's word to the flock, and that comes there from apt to teach. Um, so it's, 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 they have a handle on God's truth, okay? Uh, the last one comes from our, our passage that we began with, and that's 1 Peter chapter um, 5. So go back there or look in your handout at this. And I, I just want to um, just emphasize something here. Biblical elder serves for God's glory, not his own interests. And listen again to what this passage says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering um, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So here's some attitudes that these elders should have. Agreed? Uh, They're doing this willingly. They're doing it eagerly. They're doing it and desiring to be good examples. They're not doing this under compulsion, you know, I guess, well, I guess if they vote me, I have to go and I have to go do it. No, you don't want that person, all right? Uh, You don't want the person, obviously, who is in it for shameful, selfish gain. Um, You don't want it, you know, when someone is just using it as an opportunity to control and to domineer. Um, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's a willingness, there's an eagerness, there's a desire to be an example to the flock, okay? Now, friends, there's there's a lot more to say about biblical eldership. We're just kind of highlighting some things here, but, but there's a need for us to think through the importance of making sure that this leadership group is not a reflection of the business world, but is a reflection of God's word. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to fall short in some areas, but we want to make sure that structurally that we're doing things God's way and we're trusting that God's way works because it's his way, right? Now, so here's just a couple of concluding thoughts here. There's actually three. Uh, and then we'll take a couple of seconds to maybe chat through some things, okay? Elders must be carefully chosen not to satisfy a quota of sorts, but only as they are clearly qualified. Um, In the churches that I have served in, um, each constitution has said there must be at least so many either elders or deacons that serve on a board. And so what happens is, because there's a quota of sorts, it's like, well, we gotta fill a spot. What happens if you're trying to fill a spot? You're going to settle for someone who is not truly an elder. So it's perfectly okay for a church, especially a church of our size, to have few elders because there are only few qualified people to serve. All right, so the amount of elders is based on um, really you know, how many qualified people you have, and you may get to a place when the church gets larger that you actually have far more people that are qualified than are actually serving. That's a really good place to be, okay? Um, So I just want to be careful that that we're not just thinking you have to have X amount of people to serve in that capacity, okay? Um, Secondly, elders have oversight of the church while deacons or deaconesses serve the church. We talked about that already. but it's important to make sure that we see that. And to also recognize that there is a, I might want to say an off, office position for, uh, for ladies within the church to serve as deaconesses. It's one of the things that's there. That doesn't mean ladies are limited to that capacity at all. Um, elders both share the responsibility to care for the flock as well as protect the teaching pastor. And we touched on that. Um, elders' responsibility is not just to the flock. Their responsibility is to God. And if their pastor is under attack, their responsibility is to protect.
protect him and to evaluate whether or not the attack is justified or not, but, but not to, to hold him in negative light, but to truly protect him and to encourage him and to, and to strengthen him. Listen, if, if your leadership is at odds with each other, then the health of the church is gonna, it's gonna wane, right? So that leadership needs to be committed to one another. And um, listen, a church will, will go through times of struggle and difficulty. Right, we're, we're in our first few months here. I, I am praying, God, just protect us from, from sinfulness and, and any issue that may come up. But yet the reality is, we're human beings, we sin, things flare up. And we want to do all we can to make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do in that arena of, of leadership. Okay? Now, um, let's shift focus a little bit. We're Gateway Bible Church. Um, we do not have a plurality of elders. Um, there is one elder, by virtue of you calling me as teaching pastor, I'm serving in that capacity as an elder. So does that mean we are being disobedient? Okay. Um, I don't think so. I think what we have as our gatekeepers, we have six other men that are serving alongside me in that gatekeeper capacity. Their wives are also part of, um, might want to say that, that greater team. Um, there are some men that I think that are part of that team that, um, you know, over time will, as we go through a process, will ultimately become elders. Um, but we're not going to call them that yet. What, what I desire to do is to make sure that we go through a process. I, in particular, go through a process where, uh, we, we labor together o through the word. We labor together over areas of philosophy and doctrine to make sure that we're on the same page so that when that person takes that position as elder, you will sit back and you'll say, of course, because they have proved themselves by their life, by their character, um, by their handling of the, of the word of God. Um, we're not going to rush into that, okay? All the more reason why it's helpful to have the assistance of a church like North Creek or um, of Wellspring and, and uh, also of uh, Clayton Valley, which you probably aren't familiar with, but uh, Chris Oliveri there is, is, um, is willing to help and be a part of that, might want to say, advisory team until we get to the place that we do have eldership. For now, though, our gatekeepers are functioning in the capacity of providing many of the support mechanisms to make sure that our, we, we have leadership in place. For example, one of the things that our, the gatekeepers have said to me is, Rod, you can take a vacation anytime and you don't have to come back. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> no, one of the things they've said to me, and hear this, this, and this is really, really important. They said, Rod, your job is to preach and to teach, is to counsel and to be passionate about the, the spiritual formation of, of the people that are part of this church we want to take up responsibilities of oversight of other things. And that's why we have someone who's overseeing administration, someone who's overseeing body life, someone who's overseeing facilities, someone who's overseeing, you know, um, all the, the stuff that goes on in here. We, we're dividing it up. And, I mean, I come here on a Sunday morning, literally. I come in and I put my computer down. I make sure PowerPoint is ready. I plug things in. I have them drop my sons off. And then I leave for about half an hour, 40 minutes or so, just kind of make sure that I'm thinking through what's going on here on Sunday. Other people are doing everything else. Now, you have to understand this. 
for a church of our size doing what we're doing, that's very, very unusual. So we're well on our way to make sure that we have a leadership that is doing things well, but we don't have an eldership in place. You follow that? That is the trajectory that we want to go to. But we're not going to rush there simply to say, we've got these guys in place. Okay? Now, let me just take a second. Anyone have any questions um, or comments or some things that maybe we haven't touched on here that's on your heart? Yes? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think, let's put it this way. Um, a congregation can decide with their feet. It's one way a congregation can decide. That means they walk out. They say, we're not doing this anymore. So they, that's one way they can decide. Another way they decide is when the, that eldership is taking time to communicate and interact. I mean, like, like what we're doing now, questions, what's going on with this, what's going on that, we want to hear from you, this is what we're thinking, this is what we, we desire to do, this is how, how we think it's going to happen, this is how much it's going to cost, pray about it, think about it, and we want to hear from you. And if the leadership hears some, like, ooh, you know, some negative stuff, then it's like, okay, we need to go back to the drawing board. So there's definitely a congregational involvement, but uh, I'm not too sure that we're going to be going down the path of congregational control, meaning congregation votes and what they vote we have to have because uh, there's a reason why there's leadership. Um, some of you function in your families. You know, the whole family is going to vote on something. There's a reason why your parents. You know, so you, there, there's a balance there. You want, you want to make sure you're caring for the flock, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're leading that flock too. So there's, there's, a, there's a balance going on there. So we've still got to work at the specifics of what that balance looks like. We don't want it to be authoritarian, total control, but at the same time, we want to make sure that those that are in leadership can truly lead. Okay? Hope that's helpful for you. It's a great question. Anyone else? All right, let's have a word of prayer, and then Ilya's going to come and close us with one more song, okay? Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. This is a, a practical matter that is important to you because your church, Lord, is precious to you. And, Lord, so many times the church, Lord, with, with good motivations, has, has sought ways to do things and outside, Lord, of your umbrella of instruction and has brought that into the church. And Lord, I just ask that as we begin this church, that we would do the hard work of laboring to do Lord, what you've called the church to be and do. Um, that we would not rush at the same time, Lord, that we would be purposely developing and, and moving toward having eldership in place, Lord, in the time frame that you desire. Give us wisdom there. And Lord, as we are making decisions 
um, before that takes place, Lord, give us as a church wisdom and direction and guidance, and clarity, and uh, Lord, would you be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for, for my friends. Lord, thank you for the, the way in which we're able to talk through these things, and Lord, for how your, your word is clear. Uh, Lord, would you, would you help us, Lord, uh, to, to have a healthy leadership, and ultimately, Lord, to have a healthy church that has a healthy leadership, and Lord, that there is true care going on, true support, um, a love for one another, and a love for you. We ask this in your name. Amen.